This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. What do you say we start with a uh, show of hands? This goes back, Darren. Oh, wait, you didn't want that yet. You come from a household run by a teacher, you know, know, know your place. That's true. Okay, let's take a roll, by the way. Urban? Yeah. How about a little more, you know, professional here? Yep. Danny Sarek? Present. Okay. Pauly Podcast, I'm over here. Danny, how many, uh, how many on-air appearances does this make for the day? <laughs> Three and four hours. Okay, here we go. Danny Sarek, won't you guide our sleigh tonight? (laughs) Here we go. Here's the question. Show of hands. Were you or were you not familiar with the rule? As arcane as it was out of the depths of the rule book, thou shalt not throw a backward pass out of bounds with less than two minutes to go and a half. I was unaware. 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 Yeah. I feel a lot better now. That makes me feel better, and I'm off to a good start here. There you go. On Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, because when it happened in the moment, okay, I'm like, all right, are we expected to know that rule? Because we were perplexed up in the booth, minus Dave Pash, who is a master of the rule book. Okay, so I already have an anxiety going so many different ways because I'm not Pauly Pash. And then all of a sudden, something like that comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I really would love to know if Dave Pash would have known in the moment what was going on with that ruling. You have to admit, it's a good rule. I- explain it to me exactly. Well, here, here's, what, here's what I would... It prevents what? I, it, in that circumstance, you're like, well, what would be the point of it? However... If you let's say, especially in the last two minutes, you're trying to score and it's the last two minutes of a half and you're running down the field and you realize you're got to be you you don't have any timeouts and you're about to be tackled, but you can lateral the ball to a teammate. Oh, I missed him, and it goes flying out of bounds and gotcha. the clock stops. Even if you're past the line of scrimmage, you, yes, could, you could lateral do it, it backwards so you're not throwing a forward pass and and, and if that happened the, the clock would stop. It's sort of the anti or the inverse of the holy roller. Yes. The Raiders did back in the day, Good right? Call. Oh, no time on the clock. I'm about to get tackled. Oh, I'm fumbling the ball forward. Just keep kicking it forward like it's lacrosse or something. But you know that rule. And so, okay, now I get it. Now I get the genesis that's, of it. That's what I would assume would be the, the, the reason for it. You know. Interesting. Well, on the sideline, Danny, was there um, an awareness of what was going on at that moment at the end of the first half? I, I don't think I didn't see any like true confusion. I think it was I was just more trying to see what was happening on the field and seeing what what the ruling was. It was confusing though. They still they still like had to huddle up as officials. Like we can talk about this rule all we want. It didn't seem like they knew it for sure it's either. True. It's true. It it did remind me of um I won't name the head coach, but there was a former head coach in Cardinals history 
where Dave Pasha actually would come to the conclusion of what was going on the on, on with the officials on the field much quicker than the head coach. The coach would be so like you know the uh, the old Vince Lombardi commercial. What the hell's going on out here? You know the whole thing. Well, this guy had a propensity for that moment, and Dave would actually come to the realization of what what's happening in terms of the rules and regulations. I love how you say you won't say, but then you said Dave Pash. So that only limits it to coaches since, what, 2002? Well, he's been around like uh, two dozen years. So that, well, I mean, it's not, that, that involves a little bit five of different head coaches, I believe, if you go back, I think. So I'm five. not sure. What I am sure of is this is not good podcasting to get into the uh, depths of the rule book. So no. what else are we going to talk about here on Cardinals Underground? How was the sideline, Danny? Were there any close calls, anybody barreling out of bounds? Did you have to go into a backpedal at any moment? I did not, okay. thankfully. Good. And thankfully it was dry. There was no rain. There was no snow. Um, my toes did not go numb, which was a little surprising. I, I mean, I was wearing layers. I was taking all the precautions I could in my wool socks. I was wearing leggings under my pants, my beanie, my gloves, my massive Joe Namath coat, as General Manager Monty Austinfort called it when I was wearing it getting onto the plane because it didn't fit in my suitcase, so I had to wear it mm-hmm. in 80-degree weather in Phoenix getting onto the plane. So thankfully, I was dry. I did not get run over. So I guess you can call it a successful day. See, I wasn't really sure if you're going to go with that many layers because the night before, the local weather person I saw on Chicago TV called it, quote, outrageously warm for this time of year. So here's the thing. Both things can be true, Paul. True. It can be outrageously warm that time of year in, in the Chicago, Windy City, yeah. and I can still be cold. Somebody on Twitter said <laughs> that. Like Somebody, right. somebody quote tweeted Don't me and, and, and oh, said, boy. like, Hello. Uh, it's actually not that cold in the Midwest. Like, I'm in Cleveland. You don't need that code. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that because you are not cold, I am not allowed to be cold. Thank you for that. She was debating before the game whether to put on her leggings because... And then I decided to. They got smart. And I'm glad I did. It's about comfort. It's not about fashion. Day. I'm trying to learn that. Well, the good news is if you would have been barreled into, it sounds like you had plenty of padding. You had as much much padding on as the players themselves. So yes. that's good. Okay. All right. Uh, what about uh, you know what about that game? Did you sense... And let's, just, let's get the assessment from the sideline reporter here, Darren. Was there or was there not a lack of energy in getting down 21 nothing? What was the pulse of the sideline? It did, it did feel like there wasn't the energy that we are used to seeing from this team. Now, you could see that in some senses. I feel like really in the defensive line, that was the position where you could most feel the emotion, at least most consistently, of the frustration and getting run over, which they were, giving up a season-high 250 rushing yards. There were some I mean, mo- when the first play of the game rips the Cardinals front seven for 13 yards out of the gate, that was one of those row moments right off the bat. And the only other position group really was the offensive lineman just kind of, I think it was more so working through some things and you could kind of see some passion there. But a sideline as a whole, it didn't really feel like there was a ton of energy coming off of that it was down it was either 14 nothing or 21 nothing when the cameras caught Buda Baker and Jonathan Ledbetter working the sideline pretty fiercely being pretty vocal and and letting guys know uh that's not the standard we need more and then they dialed it in from there and they did fight back and and make it a one score game but you know some of the same issues cropped up that you've seen in past games. I don't know what. Where do you want to start on that front? Huh. Well, I mean, offensively, 
I, I think we know the shortcomings of this defense right now. And, and the Bears aren't a great offensive team. Um, they were able to run the ball clearly. But it's not like they – I mean, they scored points. They didn't score a ton of points. Um, but just offensively, it just it – just, there's nothing there right now with the wide receivers. Uh, they bracketed Trey McBride enough. I thought James Conner got off to a great start running the ball. And then they started making sure that that wasn't going to be an issue anymore. And then he kind of came alive as a receiver. James Conner, I thought, had a great game uh, in relatively limited touches given everything. But And I know I asked this question of Drew Petzing. I don't know about you guys or how you felt about it. This was just my, my feel in real time because Drew Petzing said there wasn't anything special that was done. But like I felt like Kyler was in the pocket a lot. Now, again, I don't know if that was because – the Bears were making sure he was going to get outside and, and break up the play or if he was intentionally trying to make sure he was staying there. But, man, did it seem like he was in the pocket a lot, and unfortunately that didn't play out to very many very much success. This is not an offense that is built to play from behind, Paul. Mm-hmm. But they, they don't have the personnel. They don't have the star power. So when you're down 21 nothing, like it or not, you have to abandon the run game to a certain extent. Plus, you were already going up against the new number one run defense in Chicago anyway. When you're having to rely on the pass game a little more and you don't have that production from your wide receivers, that's going to be difficult. Trey McBride only having 31 receiving yards feels so low just because he's been so explosive for the last couple of weeks. He just is coming off his second 100-plus receiving yard game. The fact that your leading receiver was James Conner and you were getting Amari DiMercato in there you had four receptions by your receivers, and it's just, it's not good enough. And when, again, you're playing from behind by 21 points and your wide receivers are not producing anything, I can understand somebody like rookie Michael Wilson is still being productive in the blocking game, but that's two straight games he has not had a single catch, and that's just not good enough when you don't have Hollywood Brown out there. And it's not from a lack of targets, right? I mean, Michael Wilson, what do you get, seven targets in the game? Somewhere close? And so, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You're right, they're not built to come back. They are not built for the big play right now, especially Hollywood. without Hollywood Brown. You don't have that big play threat, the proven big play threat that's going to get you a three- or four-play drive. Even James Conner with that 16-yard catch and run for the Cardinals' first touchdown, that still capped an eight-play drive. Even Greg Dorch, actually nine-play drive, and then Greg Dorch, the 38-yard pass and run, which was phenomenal, that still capped an eight-play, 80-yard drive. So you just don't have that big strike ability, especially when you're down. But to your question, Drew Petzing did say the Bears did, quote, a good job of keeping Kyler in the pocket. And it's one of those games where you're like, okay, did this game come down to which defense did a better job of keeping the opposing quarterback in the pocket? It certainly seemed that was a very key factor because Justin Fields ran for nearly 100 yards yeah. and had a 39-yard run where he ripped the Cardinals defense, and that was problematic from the start. Justin Fields, the ability to extend a play, and that's the first thing Jonathan Gannon told us, post-game radio. Yeah, and he, he brought it up in the in the post-game press conference, too, the extending of the plays, and, and you can't have it. But except the issue, though, is you knew he was going to extend play. That's, that's, his ga- that's what his game is based on. That just tells me you don't have the personnel. Losing Jonathan Ledbetter mid-game with a now season-ending knee injury hurts. Your defensive line was intended at the, the start of the season to have a rotation, and now you've got LJ Collier, LJ Collier Carlos Watkins, Jonathan Ledbetter, Lecky Fotu, who have all missed games. That hurts when you're trying to have a rotation. 
It wasn't just the D-line, though. On that 39-yard scramble, Fields also had a 33-yard scramble. How many Cardinals defenders was he shaking off? The tackling. I know Fields is is a big player, but the tackling from the defense as a whole. It's one thing to have the game plan and know what to expect from Fields, and it's another to not be able to capital not capitalize, but to execute the game plan. And that's the one one of the things you point to down the stretch of a non-playoff season is the want to. And of tackling and defense is a lot of just willingness. Where is it? Once again, they, they corrected a lot of it, but where does it stand going into Philadelphia? Because guess what? You're going to get a lot of the same challenges except a better offensive line, better weapons at running back, more explosive weapons to be sure at receiver than the Bears gave you, especially after DJ Moore hurt his ankle on the second snap of the game. He was never the same the rest of the way and wasn't even a factor. And Cole Komet had four catches for 107 yards yeah. and in the first half and was tearing him up, and then he got hurt and he left the game. So I'm hoping that's remedied by the return of Garrett Williams. If indeed Garrett Williams is coming back and he's your nickel, now Jalen Thompson is more apt to be returned to be covering the tight end because you had to have Jalen Thompson serve as your nickel. Andre Sachere got a lot of snaps, and I don't know who was assigned to the tight end. But it wasn't Jalen Thompson, at least not often enough. Wasn't that an interesting defensive decision as you're putting in a safety in Andre Sachere rather than sticking with another cornerback like a Keetrell Clark who still isn't getting snaps? and Or a f- former Cardinal, Marco Wilson. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. So do you put that in the same category as a uh, my Jay Sanders, Isaiah Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, th- those are all, you know, players that— Marco being released, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, they gave Marco Wilson every opportunity this year. And by, while we all saw it, and it, we all, I think there was a lot of people that thought the change with Marco Wilson playing a lot of cornerback was going to happen sooner than it did because he was struggling the entire time he was out there. And I was looking at the numbers. He actually had a pretty good year last year. Like his, his passing rating against last year was only like 77.1, which is pretty good. But this year it's like 137, and he's given up like 15 yards of reception, and uh, that, that he gives up, and that's just it wasn't going to work. He, he, all the analytics and, and and numbers say he was one of the worst in the league, and you can you can overcome that. I would think to at least get to the end of the season, but Marco's a different kind of dude. We all know that, and it just it didn't seem like it fit real right. And to be honest, uh, you know I. The red flag got raised for me that, and I can't remember what game it was now, but when we were all going to talk to him in the locker room after he had a tough day and he wouldn't. Oh, it was a home th- game. It was right. a home game, but I That's can't right. remember who it was against. Yeah. Might have and, been the Rams. And uh, and he he knew everybody was waiting to talk to him, and he just kind of walked away from everybody. That you know, you yep. you got to be in a different mind space than that. And look, this people ask me about where they're going and building this culture, and we've talked a lot about it, but. There's no doubt in my mind that Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austinfort are looking for players who are deadly serious about football. That's who they're looking for. And so if there's other stuff going on, ancillary stuff, if you don't quite have the professionalism or the maturity, and I'm not naming names here, I'm just saying that's the sort of player they're looking for. And so I think they did a real good job in identifying and drafting those players, bringing those players in. You just had your 11th different rookie start a game for the Arizona Cardinals, which, by the way, leads the NFL. And I fully continue that to uh, happen again in this whole draft process in the offseason. I do think it's interesting that Wilson hadn't played a defensive snap in 
a month. Yep, four games. Now, partially part of the reason that he was one of your starters is he you didn't have a lot of other options. And I feel like it was the same to a certain extent with the rookie and Keytrail Clark. Now, Clark has a lot of upside and I think just really needs time to develop, but was a starter at the beginning of the year because you didn't have the depth that you were looking for. And then once the staff liked realized they liked Starling Thomas, you take away those snaps from Clark, not necessarily, in my mind, from the little we gather, that they don't think he has a future here. It was just maybe needs more time to develop. I'm curious, though, when you've got a veteran like Wilson, you're not playing for a month and you're only playing on special teams. What were you missing? What were you not improving on in practice? If it, you know, was it more so off the field stuff? Was it on the field stuff? What was not improving? The fact that you weren't playing for a month. I mean, for me, I don't, I don't think it had anything to do with practice. To me, you got 11 starts and you were bad. And eventually I, they, they can say, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I think practice means a lot. And I think it means a lot to these coaches. But in the end, it still matters most what you do in games. And Marco Wilson was given this giant runway of 11 starts, and he did not perform. He's in a contract here. And he was given... Yeah, every- he's got one year left. He does? Okay. If somebody picks him up on waivers, he's under contract for okay. next year. So, look, he was, to me, it all falls under one umbrella with new decision makers in place. If you're the future, the future is now. They're trying to figure out immediately who's part of the future. So to Darren's point, he got 11 starts. Uh, whatever you want to assess about practice, okay. But ultimately, you got to prove it in the game, and you got to have the production to show for it. And, and he didn't, I think, and I'm guessing, that once they deemed that he wasn't part of the future, no more defensive snaps. Now they're moving on to Starling Thomas, Antonio Hamilton, even though he's the oldest guy on the defense. If I got that number right, he's older than the defensive coordinator, put it that way. But I think Antonio Hamilton quietly has had a pretty dang solid year. And, yeah. and right now is your best corner, your most I, reliable corner. I would agree with that. And it's funny because you did mention the other guys. That, I mean, when you look at Mark, Marco was really close to Isaiah Simmons, who was really close to DeAndre Hopkins. And they all kind of have that same personality. And I I would tend to agree. Yeah. I don't know if that personality really yeah. fits. Or priorities, them. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, though, when you're talking about the culture, Paul, I do think coming off this performance, it's pretty telling that outside linebacker Dennis Gardak, a leader, a captain, told Darren Urban postgame that this still feels like winning culture, that despite giving up 21 points in the first half to only give up six in the second, to be able to stay calm, execute the next play at hand, and stay focused says a lot about the culture that is being set here and, and not freaking out on the sideline, not getting caught up in things on the field, staying zoned in on what you need to be doing for your individual role. I think that says a lot coming off a 27-16 loss on the road for a captain to say that. Well, and I would agree from the standpoint, and nobody wants to hear the moral victory stuff, but when it was 21 nothing, oh yeah, we've been around teams that that, yeah. that would have ended 42 to seven. I was just about to say the same thing. I mean, I was gripping. There's no doubt. When it was 21 nothing, middle of the second because quarter, because you thought it was your fault as the play-by-play guy. No, because where is this going? Well, that's true. Where is this? Is this going to be the a preseason game for you to do? Is this is this going to be the 60 burger that got Brandon Staley fired? Yeah. Right. You know, because in yeah, the past, that's a good point. In the past, that's the way a game had the potential yes. to trend. The, f- the fact that they had the ball down one score, eight points, I mean, 
if you would have asked me that early in the game, I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. It reminded me of the Niners game week four in Santa Clara. You got down 21-3, and you're fearing the worst against a juggernaut Niners team with Josh Dobbs at quarterback, and then they fought back. It's 21-16 late third quarter. So to your point, Danny, I, I think it does illustrate the culture and at least the fight, the refusal to give up, pack it in, which various NFL teams have done in a season where you're at three wins. Again, the, the key becomes you, you, get, you get a little bit of space to show that out. This is that season to show that out. This is that season to say, well, we were down 21 nothing. We could have let it get to be – it could have been 49 nothing or 42-7, to and instead we had a chance to, to come back at the end. You get that this year. Next year you don't get that. Next year, the second year, you don't get to keep saying, well, we, we fought back. No, you don't get to do that. This is, this is your moment in time to get to that part of it. And then starting next season, you, you better have some of that figured out. Then if you get down 21 nothing, it doesn't matter what the final score is or what kind of fight you show. You just screwed up and got down 21 nothing, and that cost you. You notice, though, and this is just me, because there's never a bad time for a hot take or a conspiracy theory. That when you've been at, been at those pivotal points in the season, someone has lost their job. Because the only way to truly motivate in professional sports is job security. In this case, it's Marco Wilson. Are you saying partially saying a got, scapegoat? Not necessarily. Well, no, Danny. We, just, we, we just want people to be uncomfortable on this roster. And to know that jobs are hanging in the balance. And there's a direct correlation between production and job security. And if you're not deemed part of the future, then guess what? Um, good point. We'll make that decision sooner than later. And if the other 52 guys on the active roster right now, if they take something from that, well, so be it. If we reinforce the message that this is a results-oriented business week to week, and there's still two games to go, and thou shalt bring it instead of packing it, then guess what? Uh, we'll reinforce that. I'm pretty sure you had a similar sentiment in Minnesota when the Cardinals traded Isaiah Simmons and I think you could find some correlations between the two of these which we've talked about look Marco Wilson was not playing well and again if you know he's not part of the future if he's just going to sit on your bench and this is the year where you're trying to figure out what pieces do you have what pieces do you still need to both sides of favor release him maybe he finds somewhere else the last two games of the season or ends up signing somewhere early in the offseason but Give some younger players that you maybe want to see, not necessarily at cornerback, right? But now you have a roster spot and you can elevate somebody else and, and get a better idea of who you have and what you still need. So when it comes to the defense, when you talk about some of the names and right, I mean, and, and the injuries and the releases, the trades, all of the above, think, think of how the personnel has evolved oh, yeah. on the defensive side of the ball over the course of this season. So you're now, to Danny's point, you're missing your top four defensive linemen going back to day one. You're on your third different starting Mike linebacker. You have an undrafted rookie playing corner along with Antonio Hamilton and Starling Thomas. So, yeah, this, you know, I mean, you know it's a process when it's 30 minutes before kickoff, and we've seen every single practice of this team over the years that we're allowed to see. And I'm literally writing down 
Okay, wait. Who's 44 again? And I'm writing down on my on my my board. Oh, it's 58. See, I screwed it up. 44. Tyreek Maddox Williams. Tyreek Maddox Williams. Literally writing that down 30 minutes before kickoff. Because 44 is Owen Papo. Exactly. Paul, and then I'm like, okay, wait. Caden Davis is up. 17. But he's not 39 like he was in the preseason. Now he's 17. Yeah. These are things that are happening right before kickoff. So you know. I don't know where the Cardinals are, a number of players who have actually been oh, wow. in a game, but it's up there. So but now, it, if you're Nick Rollis, what do you do, right? I mean, from week to week, you're trying to you're trying to get this a sound scheme to go against some pretty potent offenses, and now you got the Eagles and Jalen Hurts. I mean, it's, uh, it's daunting, to say the least. The Eagles, uh, Nick Sirianni actually acknowledged in his post-game presser after they beat the Giants – in a game closer than people thought it was going to be in Philadelphia. Um, Where the fans were chanting, run the ball, run the ball. He was saying run the ball, and I'm thinking, well, you're now about to face statistically the worst run defense in the league in the Cardinals because Mm. of the injuries and everything that they've gone through. I'll be interested to see how the Eagles attack this. I mean, the Bears were killing. Are who we thought they were? No, I'm sorry. Uh, that was bad. The Bear, you can catch that on Folktales. Thanks, Coach. It's a great episode. By the way, I threw that out in the Big Red Rage. Jamari DiMercato looked at me. Had no idea what I was oh, talking about. Oh, just the comment? Had never heard of Denny Green nor the Denny yeah, Green well, rant. We're to that point in our lives. I deserved it. Um, but the Bears were running over the, the Cardinals, and then for whatever reason, Justin Fields tried to throw a touchdown pass, and that's the one that Jalen Thompson intercepted, and I'm like... <laughs> Yeah. Why would you do that? There was another three and out where they threw it twice, and then uh, and then they, and then that third time they tried like a draw play, and it was three and out, and you're like, okay, Cardinals will take it if all of a sudden you're going to shun the run and go that route because you realize that despite that, despite a confusing emphasis with a two score lead and, and going with the pass game, the Chicago Bears. And actually helping turn it into a close game in the fourth quarter, which of course the, you know the locals were gripping about that, considering the uh, Bears' propensity to blow double-digit leads in the fourth quarter at a historic rate. Anyway, you realize the last five games, the Cardinals have given up more than 400 total yards in four of those five. So if you add them up, the last I went Craig Grillo and I took the last five games total yards by Cardinals opponents, it's over 2,000. It's 404 per game, and in terms of rush yards you're giving up an average of 173 over the last five games. It's not an excuse. I just think it's noticeable that the way the schedule has panned out, the Cardinals, who are still playing meaningful football, you are, again, showcasing what you can do, why you deserve to be here, why you deserve to continue to coach here. That's different than the meaningful football that a lot of these other teams, Arizona's playing this part of their schedule, is playing for in terms of a playoff push. That's what you have from Chicago, from Philly, from San Francisco, from Seattle. So I think to a certain point, when you're looking at not just coaching and game plan is not what I'm saying. I'm saying more when you look at the personnel and the injuries, you're just at a point where this this defense is facing some really potent offenses and, and you can really only do so much with who you have out on the field. The other thing too, and when you start talking about the schedule, that's that reminded me too. Like I, I did an update on where the Cardinals' two first-round picks are. Uh, and right now they're picking two for their own pick and 16, which is where the Texans pick is. Mm. Hey, we'll take it. Obviously those things can change, but when you talk about tiebreakers and who gets the higher pick, um, if teams are tied, the only tiebreaker that matters is opponent strength of schedule. 
which means when you play a more difficult schedule, then you have you're going to have a lower pick than anybody else you you tie with, and that's what the Cardinals are faced with right now. In fact, I think right now, if I remember the numbers correctly, I believe there is no one with a higher opponent strength of schedule percentage than the Cardinals, and I think it's like 568 right now, which makes sense. Both the Rams and the Seahawks wow. have been way better yep. than people thought. They play they had the 49ers. They play those teams six times. Um, you know, they they played a lot of other good teams. I mean, they're going to down the stretch. They they the Bears weren't, but they got the Eagles now. Now they, then they have the Seahawks, which who are probably going to be playing for a playoff spot in that last week. So, I mean, it's going to hurt them in terms of if they tie anybody with draft picks. But it does. Again, not an excuse like Danny said, but it does explain something when you're talking about taking some some haymakers here because when you put together the fact you don't have the players and you have these really good teams, that usually doesn't end up well. Yeah, and the NFC West earlier this year was taking some heat, right, for falling off. Uh, hello, they might have three playoff teams this division. And you look at, yeah, a Rams and a Seahawks team. That's what I was talking at length last week about. To me, the offseason initiative – is this division. You, you've got to figure out what you're doing against Sean McVay and what you're going to do against Coach Double Rainbow in Seattle. He's got him back in contention. And maybe you can knock him out of the playoffs in Week 18. We'll see. That would be a joyous holiday season. There's no doubt about that. And then, of course, the 49ers, who still have the inside track on the NFC number 1 seed. But, yeah, now you get an Eagles team that uh, had lost three in a row, beat the Giants, Got a little uh, dr- you know drama in the end there, but uh, didn't they... look that good though. No, not at all, not at all. I mean, uh, so and Jalen Hurts, you know, at, at his moments. So we'll see. Will the inside knowledge of Jonathan Gannon, Nick Rollis, and company serve the Cardinals well in terms? Do do they? Will you a, get hit by a snowball, Paul? Do they have enough personnel? Yeah, Paul, you might want to steer clear of Nick Rollis and Jonathan Gannon on the right. sideline. I don't know what's going to be thrown their way in Philly. Here's the thing: Do those Eagles fans? Well, I'll just say it: the Eagles fans should have a newfound appreciation for what they have. You know what? I think they do, but I think when they see JG and Rollis there, they're going to forget about that for the day, and then after we get back to Arizona, they're going to go back to realizing what they had in Gannon. Do you think the Eagles fans will be well lubricated considering it's New Year's Eve and they don't have to work the next day? Oof. That could be a Is factor. Is that a rhetorical question, Paul? That could be a factor. That's going to be me uh, in the press box. The uh, passion level that's uh, in just those kidding. stands. Don't look at me. I'm just kidding, Darren. <laughs> Golly, take a joke. By the way, the whole, uh, you know, in the holidays you talk about Eagles fans. Somebody just did a, a big article. I think it was an AP writer. It was December 1968. That was the infamous Bad Santa incident. 68. I wasn't even born yet, Paul. So uh, no comment over here. And it revolved around how uh, apparently the Eagles had started 0-8, and then they had won a couple of games. And the fans were mad about that because all the fans wanted O.J. Simpson to top the draft. So (laughs) there was even tank talk back in 1968, apparently. So then they were mad, and the Eagles, I guess, were, you know, and then all of a sudden they're out there, and, and I guess some guy dressed, some just ordinary fan dressed in a Santa suit, decided to uh, go ahead and make a spectacle out of himself, and it triggered all the Eagles fans who weren't in a festive mood, and he bore the brunt of that, and they said, I triple dog dairy, and they let him have it, and boom, they haven't been able to shake that that sort of mark, that you know, smirch on their on their reputation for a good 50 years. If OJ had only been an eagle. That's right. 
So uh, there you go. By the way, do you know what OJ's uh, nickname was uh, back in his playing days, I should specify? The Juice? That's a good one. He had another one among players. Headquarters. He had the largest melon you've ever seen. <laughs> he was like a size. You think Bruce Bochy in his size eight and a half? We're talking like size nine hat size. Really? Are we saying bigger than Bruce, Bruce Bochy? I got, a, I got a Bruce Bochy story to tell you. Not on there. <laughs> so, uh, so what do you think about Gannon going? Because, you know, Gannon had his moment before the game with Matt Eberflus in Chicago, and he spoke very highly of him and how he considers him one of his biggest mentors, and he worked three years under him as a position coach when Eberflus was a D.C. for the Colts. But now you get Nick Sirianni, and they're still tight. Interesting to hear Jonathan Gannon tell the media that they still talk on a regular basis and that he's gone through Sirianni for, you know, some advice here or there on how to run things as a head coach. So, okay. They're tight, but could some of the institutional knowledge of how the Eagles go about things and the personnel, could it be enough of an advantage, competitive advantage for the Cardinals that they could somehow make this a holiday, you know, miracle of sorts and go in there with a very depleted roster and give the Eagles a game who have been struggling in their own right in different ways? I'm going to be a Darren Downer over here and say that I don't know that the in, – in- site knowledge is just going to be enough to really give the Cardinals any true advantage just from what we've seen personnel-wise and what the Eagles have on their roster. I do believe that when Gannon says this is just the next game, partially I believe that that's how he'll feel maybe once the whistle blows, but I don't believe that this is not any extra motivation during the week or having any extra juice to him, which is hard to imagine that he could have any more energy than he already has. I do think it'll be interesting to see Nick Rollis, who has the persona, he puts his hoodie on, he really doesn't have any emotion. When you're on the field pregame and he walks past you, he is locked in on just what's directly in front of him. He's not chatting with other people. You don't really see a lot of emotion. So we saw a little bit of that when he talked to the media Tuesday about being back at the link and in front of the fans who are not very welcoming, typically, in Philly. I think it'll be interesting to see if we see any sort of emotion out of Rawlis, which we don't typically see one way or the other. I did enjoy following that up. Somebody had asked him about going back to Philly, and he said, it's just another game. And then I came back to it later and kind of said, okay, I know it's easy. I know you believe that right now, sitting here in Tempe on a Tuesday. I I keep thinking, I can think of a million players that have done this, but the most recent example is James Conner in Pittsburgh. And he sat up there early in the week and he said, if this was the year after I left Pittsburgh, blah, blah, blah. And then the first thing I asked him in the post-game press conference was after he had this huge game, you said earlier in this week this game really didn't mean that much to you. And he cut me off, and he's like, why you got to bring that up? And I have a feeling, especially if they win, obviously not if they lose, but if they win, I don't. I, Gannon's too smart. He'll never gloat over any of this. But you, you cannot tell me that winning this game would not be extra special to mm. him. You can't. Especially after what all the fans said about him after the and Super still Bowl. Do. Still do. It's like going back to your high school reunion, right? You you want to make your best showing. I guess I didn't go I, to my I, high school reunion. Oh, you did have one? I was going to say, yeah, are you I even old go. enough to have a reunion? I am. I didn't it's go. Like, but, you know, he doesn't have his best roster by far. Right. Right? So, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, you go to the high school reunion and your Lamborghini's in the shop. You know, you can't drive it. You can't flex. Yeah, you know, that's it's a problem. Tough. It's a tough deal, you know? Not that I would really know. I just sort of envision. And uh, I, I will say this much. Um, 
when I, I tried to redeem myself speaking to Nick Rollis in the press conference uh, after last week where uh, it looked like he had the hoodie on and he was giving me the stare down. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Poorly phrased question. It, it wasn't good. I owned it. And uh, I tried to come back, and so I just asked him about his knowledge of the run game by the Eagles, and then he gave a very lengthy, very detailed answer that, dare I say, we haven't heard all year long. So not that he didn't have the knowledge of other teams' run games, but he was willing to share it with the media this week. So if you really know exactly how that Eagles offense works, right down to every single block they're trying to execute, what do you think the odds are he can devise something, the X's and O's, even with a depleted roster, try and stymie that well, and, and give them a, some headaches? He knows what, for example, Jason Kelsey wants to do. What can you do as a defensive coordinator to make it extra difficult on the Eagles center, who's sort of the epicenter of everything they do? I think you can you can have something like that. You can capture lightning in a bottle and have that all work out. I mean, I think you kind of saw that a little bit with the Raiders-Chiefs game over the weekend where the Raiders probably had no business winning that game, especially what they did offensively, but they did so much defensively. Now, can it be the other way around? Can Kyler Murray in this offense do enough? You know, going back to that Chiefs-Raiders, it's why if you want upsets in the NFL, look at the division games. Yeah. Because division opponents know each other so well. Yeah, that's a good point. And this is not a division game. No, but but they but they know this team like a division opponent, I guess is my point. You would, yes, I, I would Well, the, the coaches do, right? To a certain extent, yeah. you can only yeah. relay that to the players who haven't gone up against him so and, much. I, and I do think I, like going back to the Chiefs Raiders game I think the Raiders have some pretty good talent on defense whereas you know again this is going to come back to the the it's not about the X's and O's it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's and I just don't know if, if the Cardinals have enough Jimmy's or Joe's you know what the Raiders have they have Max Crosby that premier pass rusher who's yeah. sort of, you know sort of like the whole Montez sweat thing I mean once we dug into the numbers the whole Montez sweat effect and what he's done for that Bears defense is is truly remarkable. I mean, the before and after. I, I just I wonder if, and I won't get into it all, other than to say that they were 23rd in total defense, 28th in scoring D, and since Montez Sweat showed up, they're fifth in total D and seventh in scoring defense. So I just wonder. You know, we look at all the priorities in the off season, and we can talk all we want about corner, and offensive line, and receiver. Uh, but edge rusher to me, I don't know if that guy exists in the top five and the top three. I don't know if there's that guy this year. But if you, I, I just get the feeling that, yeah, yeah, the Bears gave up a high second round pick for Montez Sweat. Yeah, they paid him a lot of money. Four years, 90 something, 62 guaranteed. But I think Ryan Poles, the GM, is feeling like it was worth it because they're getting instant return on investment. The Cardinals just don't have that. It's not just the sack numbers. It's the pressures, the hurries, the quarterback hits. Cardinals have not been able to put really any opposing quarterback under true duress the last couple of weeks. We saw sparks of it the start of the season, which kind of surprises a little bit when you look at who is in that room. Maybe again now it's more about the quarterbacks you're facing this time of year or what the game plan is of how fast they're getting the ball out or who they're handing the ball off to. You're just not getting really anything from that pass rush. And and to your point, Paul, considering the fact the Cardinals have so much draft capital this year and also next year, the player might not be in the draft that they need, but it might be with another team and the Cardinals make a trade for yeah. a couple of picks and a player. And and I would be okay with that at this point. I mean, once upon a time, this team was in dire need and they traded for Chandler Jones. How'd that work out? 
right, until the very last season Dude, worked if, out real well. If you could get a guy like Chandler Jones at that point of his career for a second-round pick and a throwaway oh, offensive lineman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you an example. Jalen Johnson, their free agent to be cornerback, who's had a heck of a season. For the Eagles? For the, uh, uh, for the Bears, oh, for Jalen the, Johnson, oh, yeah, 33. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, four, he, those four interceptions he's had this year have all come in the last eight games. It's all come since Montez Sweat showed up. It's amazing how much better your corners are once you get a formidable pass rush because Montez Sweat, before he showed up, the Bears ranked last in sacks and last in quarterback pressures. So it's just remarkable the before and after what he's done. And I'm just wondering if you, you know, we saw Monty Asifor and Jonathan Gannon on that field. And they're, I wonder if they're thinking to themselves, you look at the Bears as a case study, what getting that guy can do for your defense. That's all. I, I would, I don't think you're going to find any arguments yeah. here, Paul. No, I'm not. I guess I'm just sort of talking to myself. Thought bubble. No, and I do think that's interesting talking about the draft. It kind of feels like that might be assuming you have the right team to make a trade with and the right player. It seems like that might be one of your best options. Again, it's early to really go into details, but if you're not, if we know that this staff wants to start young, and if you don't feel like one of these older veterans who's playing in a contract year or might have one more year in a contract you could pick up if that's not something you want you want something that's going to be more long term maybe you don't want to do another draft pick and really have to develop a player that could be your best bet is getting somebody who is entering or is already in their prime and you know giving up some of the draft capital you've collected usually the funny thing is is usually those guys don't come available the montez sweats of the the league don't come available I'm not really sure what Washington was doing there, to be honest, but because if they go and get a, themselves a quarterback and they would have kept those pass rushers, because who was the other Chase one they Young. got rid of? Chase Young. San Francisco. Which, again, I know they both needed money. I I, I get it. but They got a third rounder for Chase Young. It just amazes Young. me the way San Francisco has the, the money to do all this. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you have a <laughs> last pick in the draft quarterback, right? right? Yep. Making no money. They just did a story on that the other day. Somebody went a deep dive, so he's making less than a million dollars a year. I'm pretty sure there was a joke about because Christian McCaffrey got everyone on offense like customized golf clubs, and I'm pretty sure there was a, a quote of Brock Purdy joking that he couldn't afford that even if he wanted to. He has a roommate. Brock Purdy rooms with an offensive lineman. Yes. Oh, Danny, Danny referenced it. Was that I in a did, tweet? I did. I tweeted out. I said, man, I hope Brock Purdy's roommate has some freshly baked cookies or something waiting for him because four interceptions, <laughs> yikes. Yeah. But here's the thing. Even though he makes less than a million a year, he has endorsements, whatever that else. But, like, for example, when they made the run last year to the NFC Championship game, he got an extra 90 or 140 grand for that. And, you know, if you go to the Super Bowl this year, and then if you go to the Pro Bowl, you get an extra 80 grand if you're the winner. I mean, these are all things that add up. There's also a, a thing where uh, overachieving. Uh, yes. NFLPA yeah, has over, a fund. Has a fund. So overachieving players get a bunch of extra, not a bunch of extra money, but extra money. Yeah. yeah. For him, I think he's tracking like 150K extra through that fund, which is the max you can now, get somehow. So okay. he's a starting quarterback for a really good team, and, and most of those guys are making $20, 30000000 million right. a year. So yes. Yes. I don't want to sit here and say he should be happy with an extra 500K. So if the Bears get the number one pick, and, and, and as we wrap this up here, do you stick with Justin Fields if you're the Bears or not? Danny, you were the mastermind of three fantasy football teams. And I don't want to talk were... about it, Paul. Oh, Uh-oh, really? Somebody, oh, the postseason didn't go so well. ruh Yeah, okay. I, I lost last week. I lost in the first round of two of those leagues. Coincidentally, both of those opponents 
had Christian McCaffrey who put up 40 yards, 40 oh. points rather. Oh. And then I made it to the second round in another league and I ended up losing because I had Brock Purdy as my quarterback. Oh, no. <laughs> so so 49ers did not do me any favors in the postseason. So wait a minute. You needed your roommate to book to uh, bake you cookies. <laughs> maybe I should go back on my statement that yeah. maybe being a GM yeah. is a little harder than it was. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. mm. DJ Moore had the opinion with the media going into the game where he said, you know what? Those two guys in college aren't better than Justin Fields. That was DJ Moore to the media, and he was talking about Drake May and Caleb Williams. Yeah. Well, and... You can make that argument, and nobody knows for sure. That's the thing. The, here, the thing about when you talk about moving on to the quarterbacks is, you know, DJ Moore says they're not better than Justin Fields. Well, he doesn't know. Nobody knows. That's part of the problem. True. But part of the equation, too, is take out who you're going to replace him with, at least in the short term, and you ask yourself, isn't, it's not just is Caleb Williams, let's say, better than Justin Fields. Part of the question you have to ask yourself is, Justin Fields, the guy, to take us to where we want to go? That's the ultimate question. It really shouldn't matter who you're replacing him with when you're asking that question. Because if you're playing the, is, is this next guy we're bringing in as good as this guy, that's, you're doing it wrong. You also reset the clock on the whole QB contract. If you go for one of those rookies. You do. And I bring this up because as it stands right now, the Bears would pick number one, the Arizona Cardinals number two. And what happens to Kyler's cap number next year? Skyrockets to 50 million plus. Which is what quarterbacks cost if they're good. Now you're right. You could reset it. But again, if you reset it, you're you might be helping. Well, you're not even helping your cap because you're going to have to take a hit if you did something with Kyler. But much more importantly, if you keep Kyler and you have that second pick and you trade down to seven and you get another first round pick and another pick on top of that and maybe a body for somebody to move up to take that quarterback. That's a lot of pieces you can put around on a roster that we have just got through talking about needs a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, my point is that the top two picks could be traded. Yes. Easily. Bears and and Cardinals could stick with their guys. Or two pretty top-notch talented quarterbacks could be traded to make way for the two rookies. So very intriguing offseason in that regard, right? That's uh, that's my point. We should have some podcasts to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Um, You know, anything, uh, you know, have you you given it a lot of thought? I'm, my New Year's resolution is to be nicer to Danny. Good luck with that. I yeah, see. I see. Does that count the press box? You know, when you got your game face on, you know, does that count the press box or are you exempt from that? You're pretty nice in the press box. Mm. I feel like I'm pretty nice in the press box. Okay. I might just be, So what would you be referring to? What In what circumstances are you not so nice? In the podcast. I see. Okay. Waiting for press conferences to start. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I think uh, no. Darren is pretty nice, though. I will say he always um, puts up and takes down my suitcase <laughs> on the plane, so I don't have to. Which I'm Danny's resolution about. is to grow another four inches. Well, when you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> HGH for everyone <laughs> on the house. We'll put it on Darren's tab, and that'll do it for this week's edition of Cardinals Underground. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Make mine a double.